Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Wow, what a powerful time of worship. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. One day back in 1996, there was this young woman who was having one of the most exciting days of her life. It was her high school graduation day. You know, you can remember back in those days, if you've graduated high school, you know, that just how excited the, the world seemed wide open to you. It was full of all opportunities. And if you're getting closer to graduation, you can't wait for that joy to come. But she was so excited. She'd worked extremely hard and even had the privilege of serving as the class president in her small high school. And so because of the school size, it was a small high school, small town. All the students in that class were very, very close. There were a lot of folks in that community that were just tight-knit. That's the kind of community it was. So you can imagine all the happiness, all of the smiles as all the town celebrated this graduating class, her graduating class. It was one of the best days of her life. But also that day in May was also one of the worst days of her life. You see, that same day, even during her graduation party, this young woman's family was loading up the U-Haul, preparing to move. Her, her dad had been given a transfer at work, and she and her family would be moving 400 miles away to a totally new place in a totally new state, away from her friends, away from her farm, away from her home. And so on this day of great gladness, she was filled also with great sadness and even anger. She in no way, no how, wanted to move. But moving is what she was going to have to do. It was a bad situation. Indeed, from her perspective, in her opinion, it was a horrible situation. I wonder this morning, have you ever been in a bad situation? Maybe not that situation where you're having to move at such an inopportune time, but you've been in a bad situation, a, a situation that you would have never in a million years have chosen for yourself. A situation that in the moment you wish you could just snap out of it and wake up from that nightmare. Maybe you're enduring that bad situation right now. I mean, life is full of those moments in the church, full of them. Today in our text, we're going to see a bad situation. In fact, we're going to see a couple of bad situations. But in those situations, we're also going to see this one joy-inducing, joy-sustaining, joy-maximizing truth. And it's today's takeaway for this message, and it's this. God, in his grace and power, loves to bring good things out of bad situations. Amen? In his goodness, his grace, his power, God loves to bring good things out of a bad situation. We see it here in the life of Paul, but we also see it in this young woman's story. She in no way wanted to move. She in that moment couldn't have dreamt of a worse situation. But after a six or seven hour drive, she soon arrived at her new home here in Warren County, just outside of Bowling Green in Smith's Grove. And within a few months, she began a new job at the old Kroger on Scottsville Road, where the bowling alley is now. And by the next summer at that Kroger, she had met the man who would eventually be her husband. 
That young woman's name is Christy Simpson, right? My wife, the mother of our five children. She had to be uprooted at a most inopportune time and move 400 miles away to a new state to meet me. I don't know if it was worth it or not. <laughs> it's, it's debatable whether or not she could have done better than me. That's debatable. But what's not debatable is this, is that God is a God who in his grace and his power loves to bring good things out of bad situations. Have you found that to be true, church? It is true. It is true. Look, let's look at our text here to see this principle illustrated in the life of Paul. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. As you stand, as we're reading, realize that what we're reading is the God-breathed Holy Scripture. Every word is true. Every word is authoritative because every word is ultimately from God. We're going to begin in the 12th verse here in Philippians. God's Word says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to in afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray to God. Father, here in this situation, we see bad stuff, earth-shaking stuff, life-shaking stuff. And I pray that today you would help us to see the principle that you love to bring good things out of bad situations. God, you have done it over and over again in my life. And people here in this congregation could stand and give the testimony as well. And those of us who are in the midst of that bad situation right now need to hear this this morning. You are a God who is working. You will not leave us nor forsake us. We rest in you. Help us today, God, to know this truth and to hide this truth in our heart that we might have hope even in the midst of something painful, something bad. It's in Jesus' name we ask this and all God's people said, amen. Grab your seat there. So today as we look at this, again, today's takeaway is God in his grace and power loves to bring good things out of bad things situations. And I said earlier here, just a moment ago, that this biblical truth is joy-inducing, joy-sustaining, joy-maximizing. And if you'll remember my definition from last week that we're going to be using all throughout this series, you'll see why. Here's the definition that we're using throughout this entire season. It's this, throughout this entire series. It's joy is the state of unshakable assurance an absolute delight in response to God and his covenant promises to you. Let me say that again. In case you weren't here last week, you need to write this down and commit it to memory, y'all. Joy is the state of unshakable assurance and absolute delight in response to God and his covenant promises to you. So like I said last week, Paul had great joy in the midst of this bad situation because he sees God at work. In fact, he finished up this text this morning with his declaration. There in verse 18, he said, I 
rejoice. Now that's a surprising response given the bad situations that we see here wrecking his life here in the moment. You see, the church had sent word to Paul that they wanted to hear about how he was doing. And this would have been a perfect opportunity for Paul to have complained, right? You know, he's in prison. I hear them chariots are coming. They're rolling around the bend. I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. Well, I'm stuck in a Roman prison. <laughs> Time keeps dragging on. <laughs> I mean, he, he could have totally sang the blues. Brothers, I, I'm stuck in prison here. The food is awful. The jail stinks to high heaven. These soldiers that maybe I'm even chained to are dumb. They are, they are wicked brutes. My death very well might be right around the corner. And, and while I'm stuck here in prison, there are preachers out there preaching Christ to simply line their pockets, simply to get famous, and they're doing it for selfish ambition, even doing it out of malice toward me. I mean, Paul could have whined. He could have cried. He could have sang the blues. But what did he do instead, church? What did he do? He what? Rejoiced. He rejoiced because his joy was not found in his circumstances. His joy is found in God and God's covenant promises to him. That's why he could rejoice. He knew that God in his grace and power loves to bring good things out of bad situations. And that's exactly what God is going to do. Look at verse 12. Philippians 1.12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul was mature enough, you see, in the Lord to understand that there are bigger fish to fry, bigger things to accomplish than his comfort. Yeah, he was in prison because of his faith in Christ, which is, is a bad situation, right? Anytime you're in prison, it's a bad situation. But because of his imprisonment, because of this bad situation, the good news of Jesus Christ had went forth. Notice he says that his imprisonment had really served to advance the gospel, the good news of Jesus is going forth, not in spite of his imprisonment, but because of his imprisonment, because of this bad situation. Frank Thielman, in his commentary on this text, here's what he wrote. He said, the passage demonstrates an important principle of Pauline theology, one often missed by modern Christians, particularly in the affluent West, Okay. That's us, okay? We are Christians living in the affluent West. This is Europe. This is America. And here's what he finishes up with. Here's the point, is that God works not merely in spite of, but through adverse circumstances. Guys, we need to hear that, and we need to rejoice. You see, your bad situation, it's not a barrier to God and his goodness going forth. The Bible here says that your bad situation is actually the means through which God and his goodness will go forth. God loves to bring good out of bad situations. And that includes your situation, whatever it is. Whether it be sickness or joblessness or rebellious children or, or not making that team or getting that grade you wanted or feeling left out on the playground. Marriage problems, even divorce. Death. Moving to a new city, even rotting in prison. I mean, the list goes on and on here, y'all. But God is there in your midst, 
working good out of that bad situation and advancing his plan, again, not in spite of your situation, but through your situation. In fact, we've been given a rock-solid, incontrovertible promise from God in Romans 8.28. It's probably a passage that you have memorized, but it's a rock-solid promise for us when we come into these situations that are less than good. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, if you believe that this morning, say amen. My goodness, it is true. It is true. God, listen, God is not sitting idly by in your distress. God is not merely the mess cleaner upper who sweeps up your mess afterward and, and somehow by his, um, by, by his omnipotence puts it all together to make something cute out of it. No, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Bible says, is actively working in whatever you're facing to bring about good. And so I say along with Paul to you, rejoice, praise God, give glory to God, magnify his grace and his power because he is a God who loves to bring good things out of bad situations. I mean, he's been doing it all throughout history, hasn't he? All throughout history in our campus groups here on Sunday mornings, we've been studying the life of Joseph, right? Perfect illustration A perfect illustration of this joy-maximizing principle. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, his very own brothers. He ends up being this slave in Egypt. He gets into this house of of this leader there in Egypt. But soon he is taken from slavery to prison where he sits for a few years. And then from prison, he's placed into Pharaoh's court, the king of Egypt's court, where he not only saves Egypt and the surrounding region from famine, he saves his wicked brothers from famine and all of his family. And in the end, Joseph said to his wicked brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, Genesis 50 verse 20, in an act of great grace, an act of great forgiveness, he said this, he said, as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about the many people, uh, to, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive, and they are today. So, beloved, I say to you this morning: you never know exactly what God's going to do in your bad situation. How many of y'all ever been surprised by fo- before by what God did? Right? I mean, you look back on it, you're like, "That's what He was doing? Are you kidding me, God? I mean, couldn't you have done it a different way? I mean, you're just blown away by what He ended up doing." But listen to me very carefully. While you may never know what exactly God is going to do in your bad situation, you can always know that God's plan is to bring good out of it because that's what he loves to do. He also did this in Jesus' life. Think about this for just a moment. I mean, does it get any worse than the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ being crucified and put to death by sinners? I mean, that is the baddest of situations I can think of. But Peter preached to the crowds in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 22 through 24. He said, men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so you've got the the, the moment of, of, of the worst situation where Christ is crucified. And then three days later, he rises again. Hallelujah. And here he is, Paul, Peter sitting here actually condemning in one sense those who crucified him. They were in the depth of their guilt in this moment. But God's a God who loves to bring good out of bad because in just a few moments when Peter stopped preaching, 3,000 souls trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh my goodness, what a turnaround. Peter is essentially saying like Joseph, you meant it for good, y'all, or you meant it for bad, y'all, but God meant it for good. He did that in Jesus' life. He He did that in Joseph's life. He did that in Paul's life. And he does that in your life and my life. As well. So God loves by his power and by his grace to bring good things out of bad situations. So, what are we supposed to do then in the midst of our bad situation? Because we don't always see that good, do we? We don't always see it. I mean, in the moment, it may be hidden from us. And to be honest, we might not even see it until we get to the other side. You know what I'm saying? Until we stand in heaven. I don't even know if we'll, I don't even know, if we'll know it then. Unless an angel comes and tells us or something. Because it's not like we're going to get omnip, uh, you know, uh, uh, omniscience when we get to heaven where we know everything. There still may be some things that we never know that God was doing. So what are we supposed to do in the midst of that bad situation? Well, our text here gives us four actions that we're to do while we're waiting for God to bring good out of our bad situation. The first thing is this, is to remain faithful to fulfill your calling. Remain faithful to fulfill your calling. Let me ask a very important question, okay? What was Paul doing before he was put into prison? He was preaching the gospel, wasn't he? He was just preaching the gospel. In fact, that's why he's in prison, right? Because he was telling the world about this Christ who would save them, who would save them. And these Roman gods and these, these, these uh, geographic gods, these pagan gods couldn't touch their, the, you know, the, they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't affect salvation in the least like Jesus could. Now, here's the follow-up question. What was Paul doing after he was arrested. And the answer is preaching the gospel. Nothing changed. Y'all, nothing changed. He continued to remain faithful to his calling. In fact, Philippians 1.13, we read that it had become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that his imprisonment is for Christ. Now, if, if movies can be believed to be accurate, that's the first thing that folks want to know when you go into prison. 
Hey, bub, what you in for? <laughs> right? What, what, what put you here in prison? What did you do to get put in prison? And you know what? Paul didn't shrink back. He, he didn't sulk. He, he didn't have a pity party. No, in fact, he became all the more bold. Why am I here? Paul says, I'm here because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And since I have a captive audience, let me tell you about him. <laughs> That's kind of where he's going here. Paul didn't pull back in the least. He continued to fulfill his calling to spread the gospel. And you and I, beloved, should remain faithful as well. Listen, sometimes we let bad situations rock our world and we begin to retreat. You're following Jesus and all of a sudden this bad situation hits your life. And now you're withdrawing from Jesus. There is distance between you and Jesus. I've even known people who were walking with Jesus and then they get, boom, hit, and they're no longer walking with Jesus. Or maybe you're once striving to be a good husband, but you've got hit by this bad situation and now you're retreating. Or, or once you were pouring out your lives into your children, but then this bad situation hits your life and now you've shrunk back. Maybe once you were, you were a good employee trying to be the best employee you could be. But then this bad situation hit and you are now phoning it in every day. And we say things like, I, I, just, I just don't have the energy anymore. I can't do it anymore. I give up. I don't have the zest anymore. I just don't have the joy anymore. Church, hear me. The devil can only steal your joy if you take your eyes off of Jesus, right? Because joy is a fixed state, regardless of your circumstances, because your joy is based on God and his covenant promises to you, right? So you can only, the devil can only steal your joy if you take your eyes off of Jesus and you let the devil take it. So I say to you this morning, man, fix your eyes again on God. And his covenant promises to you in a short time, you will take your joy back. But in the meantime, y'all, don't operate out of your feelings. Listen, I know it's, the, it's 2019, right? We, we, we want to do what feels good. We are a people and a culture who are dominated by our feelings. But that will lead you away from this God who has promised you to carry you through. We don't operate out of our feelings. We, we, we operate out of obedience to God. You ask yourself not, how do I feel about my calling? You ask yourself, what has God called me to? That's the question you have to answer. And then you walk in obedience to God. Pick that calling back up. Go forward for God. Remain faithful to fulfill your calling. But I want to say this morning, there are some of you here this morning who need to step into your calling. In other words, here's what I mean. There are some of you here who have never repented and trusted Christ. You're calling at the moment. If you are not yet in Christ, you know what your calling is? It's to come to Christ. Get saved. Trust in Christ. Believe in Christ. This is your next step to being faithful. And I say to you this morning, Christ died and rose again that you would be saved. And so if you've not yet Trust in Christ. I, I pray that this morning you would step in to that calling. Second, this morning, trust that God will work it 
for good. Trust that God will work it for good. You say this morning, preacher, I I just can't see how he's going to do that. And if that's you this morning, are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? Because sight will cause you to doubt every time. But faith fixed on God and his covenant promises to you springs forth joy and hope and trust. Beloved, God has promised. We saw last week that God has promised to finish the good work that he started in you. We saw just a moment ago that God works all things to the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. We know that Jesus promised. John 14, 1 through 3, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. This is a word for people who are in the midst of a bad situation because that's where the disciples were here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Church, these are covenant promises, and God cannot lie. Amen? Therefore, rejoice. Trust in him despite the circumstances that are surrounding you. You see, nowhere here in our Philippians text do we see Paul teetering between trust and distrust. I trust him. I trust him not. I trust him. I trust him not. Indeed, he's here testifying, trusting God fully. He is testifying how God was already doing what God said he would do, which is to bring about good out of bad situations. So I believe that you and I need to imitate Paul's trust whenever bad situations arise. Third, as we're waiting for God to bring good out of our bad situation, you need to know that your response affects others. Know that your response affects others. It's interesting here. People are watching you, okay? They're seeing how you're handling that situation. Are you handling it with faith? Are you handling it with joy? Are you handling it with hope? Or are you showing a little faith, a little joy, a little hope in the midst of this situation? Paul here in our text, he speaks to how his response affected others. Look at verse 14, Philippians 1:14. He says, And most of the brothers, having become more confident or having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, other Christians were being encouraged. They were being emboldened uh, here by Paul's example. They saw that he didn't shrink back. They saw that the faith that he proclaimed to have was real. That he believed it no matter the cost. And that he continued to fulfill his calling. And because of that, the Christians there in Rome where Paul was imprisoned, they spoke even more boldly for Christ. They were watching Paul. Paul responded well, and that good response affected other Christians. I wonder this morning, who's watching you? Man, if if you were to take a list and just write down a list, who is watching you? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a stranger that you don't even know is watching you. But whoever it is, they're watching. 
And your response to the bad situation will affect how they handle that situation as well. Therefore, by the grace and by the power of God, respond well. Third, uh, fourth, fourth, as we're waiting for God to bring about good out of our bad situation, finally this morning, you need to rejoice in God and the good he's working. Listen, we got to get this in our heads and our spirits today. God is working. But sometimes he does that through imperfect people, right? He does that through imperfect people. And I wonder this morning, does that bother you? I mean, does that bother you? I mean, does that frustrate you when God works through imperfect people, when it doesn't go just as you hoped it would go? Don't forget that you're one of those imperfect people, y'all, that God is working through. Does it bother you when God does that? Well, it didn't bother Paul. Look here at verse 15 through 17. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here, that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These preachers were emboldened by Paul's imprisonment. Now, some were true believers preaching the true gospel, but you know what? Some, it seems here, were actually false believers, right? They they weren't sincere, he says here, but you know what? They were still preaching the true gospel, right? These were not false teachers. They were telling the truth, even if they personally didn't believe the truth. Some of them maybe were just immature. They were believers who were envious of Paul's status. They were envious of Paul's gifting. And oftentimes, that's what immature Christians do. They envy the gifting that God has given to somebody else. That's one of the biggest temptations for young preachers to come out, is to look at the men, uh, 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 the the preachers who have been in, in the pulpit for 30 years, and say, I want exactly what they have right now. And that's often what immaturity does. They want want what has taken years to grow into. They want it right now. Immature want it now. They want the shortcut now. So maybe some of these guys were just immature. Some of them were envious. But he also says that some of them preached Christ out of selfish ambition, perhaps to promote themselves or to build their finances, whatever the case was. Paul had only one conclusion. Look at verse 18. He said, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I what, church? Rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. That's right, guys. Paul was more worried about the gospel going forward than he was about his reputation or his occupation. He was more worried about people hearing the name of Jesus than he was about his own name or his own fame. His greatest joy, church, was that the name of Jesus would go forth and the fame of Jesus would grow, that more people would have the opportunity to be saved, that more would hear the gospel and trust in Christ. God uses even bad situations with imperfect people to bring about good. And so in every situation... I beg you, look for that good. It's there. It's there. 
Perhaps it's buried underneath time and heartache, and it may be deep down there. You may have to really dig, but it's there. Like that diamond that is buried underground just waiting for somebody to dig it up and to discover it and to rejoice in it. Now listen, sometimes the diamond is simply personally being conformed to Christ. When, 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 when Paul says, when God says through Paul in Romans 8, 28, that he is working all things for the good of those that love him and called according to his purpose, that at least means that in your moment of suffering, you are meant to conform even closer to Christ. And listen, that is no small thing. That's a big thing. But sometimes that diamond is saving an entire nation and region from starvation. You see, that was the diamond there with Joseph. And sometimes we have these just absolutely amazing stories. And you look back at it and you say, oh my goodness, God did this humongous thing. But listen, there is always that good there always that good. If the good is not readily apparent, dig for it, wait for it. It is surely there. Why? Because God has promised. And we rejoice in God's covenant promises. So I say to you this morning, church, if you are in the midst of of a bad situation, or that bad situation, it still has present ramifications on your life. You can't get over whatever happened. Rejoice, because God has a diamond of good there underneath it all. Here's my final prayer this morning. May we have joy in the bad, because we have a good God who is working good. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus 
longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.